All right, guys, welcome to the latest episode of Profits Over Profits. Salah and Connor here. Yo, everybody. So we're going to be talking about the Palestine-Israeli issue again. I know we've covered it, I think, in the past. But very recently, as a quick recap, the issue has flared up again as the evictions in Sheikh Jarrah, or they call them evictions, they're really just another form of ethnic cleansing in Jerusalem have taken a very weird amount of publicity, which is welcome. But again, like this is something that like a lot of Palestinians and people who followed the cause recognize as like a regular occurrence. So it's, in my opinion, it's kind of surprising almost that we've gotten so much publicity over this. Yeah, so essentially what happened was families in Sheikh Jarrah were becoming homeless and being pushed out of their homes by Israeli settlers. We call them Israeli, but really they're American. Like the, the, the most famous one was from a guy from Brooklyn. Soon after that, there were there was a lot of police presence and police brutality at Al-Aqsa Mosque as they stormed it with the claim that there were riots happening. One quick note for our three viewers. <laughs> Hamas is in the Gaza Strip. Like the the PA is what controls the West Bank, which includes Jerusalem. There's like Hamas has no organization in the West Bank. So to say that Hamas was doing something in the West Bank, let alone like Al-Aqsa Mosque, only makes sense if you if you don't understand any of the details about who runs what part of Palestine right now. So it has no presence. So to call anything to do with the West Bank, attributing it to, to Hamas is just a lie. Mm-hmm. Um, in any case, after the those like the, the police started storming Al-Aqsa Mosque, which is like the third most holy site for Muslims in the world, Hamas started firing rockets into Israel and Israel responded naturally with a lot of airstrikes, naval shelling, things like that. And it should be noted that as context, as like kind of a context to all of these like increasing tensions, a lot of people were blaming Netanyahu for like stoking tensions just to gain publicity and try to keep his position in the government. And I don't think that's the case. We're going to get into that a little bit later. In any case, Hamas responded by firing rockets, and then Israel responded by firing airstrikes. And these, this particular round of airstrikes has been pretty brutal in terms of like war crimes. Like mm-hmm. this part, like they they regularly fire airstrikes, and it doesn't usually like involve a full out war. But in this particular case, whether it's because like social media is just so available or what, but people are starting to notice that Israel is lying when it blows up schools and hospitals and the roads to hospitals and it's killing doctors, especially when they blew up the Associated Press building that had Al Jazeera and EY offices in it. And they said, oh, Hamas was operating in that building. I think AP offices, right? Yeah, they had AP, uh, Al Jazeera, and EY. Okay. So... They then said like, oh yeah, Hamas was operating in that building, offered no evidence naturally. The U.S. also said we didn't get any evidence that Hamas was in the building. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I'm going to start it off by talking about the most recent bit of news that happened. So like we can talk about like the elections and how that gives context to this. A lot of people suggest that Netanyahu started these wars, started these battles because he believed that it would keep him in office. And that's because he is unpopular. And he is part of the center-right party called the Likud party. Mm -hmm. Center-right in Israel, ultra-nationalist in any other part of the world. And they believe that he is starting these wars to kind of like kind of stoke patriotism and things like that. I don't think that's uh, the case. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and also to, to take the focus off his ongoing corruption trial and conviction. Yeah, exactly. I don't think that's the case because not only has he been consistently doing things like this, it's not like people, I feel like they're kind of scapegoating him in the same way people scapegoated Trump exactly. just because he's loud and brash, right? Mm-hmm. But ultimately, like after Biden was elected, we still have kids in cages on the border. We still have a military presence in a thousand military bases across the world. We're still giving, you know, $4 billion in aid to Israel every year, military aid right? Mm-hmm. It's not eight. It's it's legitimately just weapons. Like it's $4 billion worth more or less of weapons. And that hasn't changed with Trump leaving. And in the same sense, oppression of Palestinians didn't start or stop with Netanyahu. Like Netanyahu is, has been in power for 12 years. Gaza has had its blockade since 2007, I think, or 2006 even, depending mm-hmm. on like how severe you want to start measuring blockade. So before he was even in power, right? So, so the, the easiest way to describe this issue is any American who, who thought that as soon as Trump left office, the country would like magically fix itself. Like we all laugh at those people, right? We all realize how silly and simple that is. It's the exact same thing going on with all this Netanyahu discussion. D- do I think that the particular timing of this provocation that kicked all this off was maybe in part due to his corruption trial? Yeah, but this would have happened sooner or later, whether that was happening or not. This happens because it's part of the country itself. It's part of the system there. They need these things to happen every few years. So senior Israeli leaders have called the four to five year cycle of basically blowing up Gaza. They've called that cycle mowing the lawn, meaning that it's just something we do every few years because we we have to do it to kind of maintain yeah, it's maintenance. It's regular yeah. scheduled maintenance. Exactly. So to say that it's something to do with Netanyahu himself and not the country is totally misguided. And it's it's actually worse than misguided. It's a tactic that Zionists use to basically say, oh, the country itself isn't the problem. It's just this you know, proto-fascist in power, who, by the way, we voted in for the last 12 years. 
But anyways, it's a fall with him and not with the country. It's just yeah. not true. Yeah, and you see on Reddit, like right now, if you go to the, I just opened the thread of comments, mm-hmm. right? It's all filled with self-reported liberal Zionists that are saying, oh my God, my country's finally going to get fixed. This is so much better for the country. What are and they talking about? The new the, coalition. The new coalition. Yeah. The new coalition that's getting voted in. Mm-hmm. And it's like, in my opinion, even worse than when liberals in America were saying, just go vote for Biden. Right. Because Biden is marginally better than Trump. Like, I will say that. Yeah, right? he is, for sure. He's better than Trump. He's still terrible by like any other metric of the developed world. Still better than Trump. But you go and tell me that the guy named, what's his name, Naftali Bennett? Yep. He's taken over the coalition for the first two years. So essentially the coalition is supposed to be like, yeah, we have four years of power, I think, or six years. The first two years are being led by Naftali Bennett. Naftali Bennett is possibly even more far right than Netanyahu. Oh, yeah, definitely. He has said, he's gone on record (laughs) saying, I've killed a lot of Arabs and there's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. It's no benefit. There's no gain. And and ultimately, like, I want to say 95% of the politicians in Israel have the same views as Netanyahu when it comes to Palestinians or Arabs. The official position of Israel as a country is that Israel is supposed to take over the West Bank. The West Bank is supposed to be part of Israel. That's the official position of the country. That's why they continuously build settlements. Like Netanyahu, like they have their own Congress and their House and their Senate or whatever. They have these arms of branches of government. And every year or every few years, thousands of settlements are still getting approved. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like it's not like some accident that Netanyahu just keeps like executive ordering thousands of settlements in the West Bank. Mm-hmm. so it's like you said it's it's systemic by the way his justice minister Ayla Sheked she called like Palestinian snakes and said they all deserve to be killed or they all deserve to be killed like their mothers something to that effect yeah. and she's in that coalition too yeah she she is uh, Naftali Bennett's like deputy leader like she's basically his vice president is what my understanding is And she's been just as basically like genocidal and fascistic as uh, Bennett. And both are worse than Netanyahu, as bad as Netanyahu is. Absolutely. More people want Netanyahu than any other singular candidate. Right. So like even that idea that like the majority of the country doesn't want Netanyahu anymore is false. And if you want to expand that idea to imply that the majority of the country does not want the genocide and ethnic cleansing of Palestinians and Arabs, that's even more false. So in the past, I'd say month, right? I think the the ceasefire was on the 18th, but anytime before that in May, I think it was like two or three weeks of warfare before that. Yeah, I wouldn't call it warfare, but yeah, violent. Violence before that. I, it's so weird because, like, even the, the language is yep. so curated. <laughs> we don't even know how to like describe it. Even um, our vocabularies are colonized. Exactly. So, something like 250 civilians were killed, 
Of them, almost 70 children, mm -hmm. uh, 70 Palestinian children. In the same time frame, I think it was 12 Israelis were killed. Mm -hmm. None were displaced. You know, none yeah. were displaced or destroyed versus like 96,000 Palestinians were displaced. And of course, like thousands of Palestinians were injured, like just uncountable mm -hmm. amounts. Yeah, nine families in Gaza were wiped out, like the entire family. Like no yeah. one, no one from that entire family is alive anymore. I want to kind of pinpoint on a couple specific incidents. And the first is like the most famous case which was the AP building, the Associated Press. Mm -hmm. yep. So one thing that Israel has pretty consistently done was it would bomb a building and then say Hamas was operating out of that building. Right. So one thing that they conveniently always leave out, especially when they're bombing residential buildings, is that Hamas is the government. It's the, it's the government of Gaza. So yep. it's not just like, 20 dudes in trucks with AK-47s. It's got its accounting parts, got its legislation, it's got its spokespeople, it has its lawmakers, you know, it has the head of the health ministry. All of these people have their own offices within Gaza. So even when Israel says, oh, Hamas is in that building, that's not a reason for them to blow it up. It's not a military target. Under international law, unless it is actively being used to fire rockets or store rockets, it's not a, it's not a military target. So telling me Hamas has an office right. in there, that's not a military target. Well, yeah. So here's an interesting thing to note. So the, the United Kingdom government recognizes only the military wing of Hamas as a terrorist organization. They do not recognize Hamas in its totality or overall as a terrorist organization. Yep. And that goes to Salah's point. They are the government there. You know, Israel might say we destroyed a Hamas building, but it was a hospital or it was a school or it was some kind of municipal building that was administered by them or somehow associated with them. So it's it's easy to take those things at face value and kind of think, okay, they just you know blew up some guys with AKs or something, but most of the time that's not what happens. And that's assuming they even did hit a Hamas associated building in any context. A lot of the time they don't and they just lie about it, right? Yep. So, so that's, that's kind of like the second point, yeah. which is that like nine times out of 10, Israel will just shoehorn Hamas into the conversation. And then the burden of proof becomes comes on us to kind of defend the idea that Hamas wasn't there. Mm -hmm. You know, exactly. Hamas, they, they have not shown proof of Hamas being in 90 to 95% of the targets they've hit. You know yeah, I mean? you got it. I, well, they haven't actually shown proof of any. So they've, they've seen them store them in, in empty, unused buildings. But the problem is that Israel is bombing used, like currently occupied hospitals. They're bombing occupied schools. They're buying, they're, they even bombed right. the road to the main hospital to prevent people from getting treatment. Yeah. The main and, road, nobody's, nobody's like firing a rocket from in front of the main road of the hospital 
with nobody noticing. Yeah, you know one, I mean? one, one really interesting point I want to make. So if you're talking about war crimes, one of the... One of the textbook examples of what constitutes a war crime is when you shoot unguided explosives into like a populated area, right? So Hamas does that. Hamas sends rockets towards Israeli cities and they're unguided. They're very rudimentary. They're, they're basically hobby rockets with with some C4 attached, right? But what's interesting is that Israel has some of the most precise, the most highly advanced most highly advanced explosives and rockets and missiles in the world. They know exactly what they're hitting, when they're going to hit it, who's there. And they still bomb hospitals, they still bomb schools. They still bomb residential buildings, news buildings. But what's interesting is using that definition of a war crime, Israel is not committing a war crime because its explosives are guided. It's just that they're definitely hitting civilians intentionally because they have this technology. Hamas, it's, it's hard to say whether they are or not. Are they aiming at a military base or the city next to it? Who knows? And like that, that again, like even going back to like the numbers that are being pushed out of this, right? If you're talking to me about like, I mean, I'm going to go back to as far as like 2014, right? 2014, you have something like 2000 people died, were murdered by Israel. 1500 of them were civilians. In that same war, 67 Israeli soldiers were killed and five Israeli civilians. So like as a percentage, like a per capita, and again, like numbers don't mean everything, but as a per capita, I guess, metric, Hamas is less of a terrorist organization than Israel is. Like Israel just obviously does not care about civilian life. One of the most infamous stories was of Israel bombing four kids on a beach and they said, oh, we were hitting a, na- a naval base. A naval base. Hamas doesn't even have like a proper fishing zone. Their fishermen are getting shot. And they say, oh, we were hitting a naval base. You know what I mean? And the re- right. reporters there were like, that was just a fishing hut. Like we saw inside it. It's just a fishing hut. There's no naval base. Because it- Hamas doesn't have a navy. And like also think about this, you know. Okay, so 500 quote, unquote, non-civilians were killed, right? How many of those were just teenage boys? How many were old men? How many were guys just like us who were just going to work that day? Yeah, They had nothing to do with Hamas, right? Even if you say this person 100% belonged to Hamas, he might have been a school teacher for little kids. He might have been a doctor. He might have been uh, some other kind of civil servant. Maybe he was an accountant. Like, yeah. th- like this is uh, this is the government of Gaza. It's not just. It's not like the Taliban or ISIS or something. Like they they actually provide services. They run elections. They have parades and events. Yeah, Hamas Hamas actually publicly funds most of the services 
in Palestine. So like, I'd say like, you know, the hospitals, the schools, the universities, the libraries, they're all technically government buildings. And to be honest, every time these wars start, it pisses me off how much, I guess, attention is focused on this weird dichotomy or comparison between like, who's worse, Hamas or Israel? Even, even if we were to suddenly equate the two, Gaza is the size of like Mississauga and Ontario, right? Mm -hmm. The bigger piece of land is the West Bank. And that piece of land has no Hamas presence, as we've previously outlined. And it is constantly being eroded and constantly being stolen. Constantly the farms are being burnt down and the settlers are committing violence. Like just, I don't remember, was it like maybe a year ago, they kicked out this Bedouin village in the middle of the West Bank. They just uprooted them and exiled them. They're like, you got to go. And then people in the comments were like, oh, well, it was an IDF training ground. Why is there an IDF training ground in the West Bank? And they don't recognize that Israel can declare any piece of land in the West Bank as Israel's, essentially. That's what they believe. They believe it's already Israel's. So they just start calling any piece of like mildly unoccupied land, oh, this is Israel's trading zone. And naturally, the people living there don't have like a deed to the land based on, you know, Israel's government or even sometimes the West Bank's government. And they just say like, well, you don't have a deed, so leave. Yeah, well, it's it's easy when you're writing the law and applying it, right? The, the law is whatever you say it is. The, these Palestinians have no share in creating Israeli laws. They can't vote. They, in fact, they're tried in a different legal system than Israelis are. A Palestinian that commits a crime will go through military court and the Israeli will go through civil court for the exact same crime, which is the definition of apartheid. Yeah. And in those military courts, of which like up to 500 kids a year are arrested into these military courts. Their parents aren't notified. They don't have a lawyer or a translator. The rate of conviction is 99.7%. Mm -hmm. that's, that's honestly why I believe the entire idea of a two-state solution is 100% this like Israeli Zionist psyop. You know, it's completely propaganda pushed by them well, because as far as there's, as long as there's a two-state solution, they can continuously grind out Palestinians. They can continuously say, we have no responsibility to the Arabs. We have no responsibility exactly. to them. And, and it, just oppress, murder, ethnically cleanse, exile, do whatever you want and slowly take that land. And then you, you have the land you want eventually, like in 50 years or whatever, you have the land you want and you still have your ethno state the palestinians were killed or thrown out yeah even the language if you think about it two-state solution implies some kind of symmetry right just like the language of war does of conflict of clashes we need to get away from that language and yeah the two-state solution like has been uh de facto dead since like 1967 like, look at a, a map of the settlements, of Israeli settlements in the West Bank, and tell me how you're going to make a Palestinian state out of that land today. It, it's impossible. Absolutely. Like, I mean, I was there. 
You literally can, as a Palestinian, you are not allowed to travel from one city to the next city within the West Bank. Like Palestinians, unless they have a permit, can't travel from Ramallah to Bethlehem or to Jerusalem. They physically cannot leave the city that they're in unless they have like work or something like that. They treat every city as an isolated country. And obviously mm -hmm. Palestine within the West Bank is not the one enforcing this. It's Israel. Every checkpoint is not governed by Palestine. It's governed by Israel. Within the West Bank, there's like Jewish only roads and non-Jewish roads. The segregation is constant. It's constant. There's no point at like within my entire experience within the West Bank and within even Israel that I wasn't like acutely aware of the fact that Arabs were not on the same level as Jewish Israelis. There's basically four like groups of Palestinians in the world right now. You have Israeli Palestinians who live within the 48 borders of Israel. They have Israeli citizenship and Israeli passport. Israel likes to say, you know, we treat them like Israelis, like Jews. It's not true. They are a second-class citizen. They usually have the, the bad jobs. They, they're treated much more harshly in the court system, like we talked about. The, there was a mass arrest campaign that was led yeah. by the Israeli police. There was a huge protest that was both Jewish and Arabs protesting in front of Netanyahu's house or Netanyahu's office and basically demanding that he leave. The, yeah. the Israeli police has targeted 550 plus Arab Israelis exclusively in these mass arrest programs. And it's been largely like advertised as like a revenge program. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Israel was pissed because these Palestinians in Israel proper showed solidarity with their brothers and sisters in the West Bank and Gaza. That's why they're going after them. Also, if you're a, a Palestinian Israeli, maybe your shop will get destroyed at night by a group of Israelis. Maybe you'll get lynched one night by a group of Israelis. It happens, and it doesn't happen rarely. It, it's fairly common. So that group, Palestinian Israelis, is like the best kind of Palestinian you can be. The, the, the next one is, I guess I would say, West Bank Palestinian, where your city or your town or whatever it is, not further than, say, 15 minutes outside of your town, is an apartheid wall or a checkpoint. And if you want to go visit your aunt or your cousin or something, the next town over, often you need to go through Israeli checkpoints. You're, humiliate, you're humiliated, you're searched, your whole day is wasted, takes hours. And Which, you're... By the way, about that, Google Maps, the most like advanced you know, AI company in the world, supposedly, does not tell you where the apartheid wall is. Right. So it doesn't even tell, like when I was there, first of all, I can't, I can't just put an address when I'm in Bethlehem, I can't just put an address in Ramallah and get there. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm forced to use Waze, which is an Israeli software, an Israeli company. That said, Google Maps does, owns Waze. So it has that information, but it refuses to make it easy for Palestinians or for even people visiting Palestine to go from city to city. They don't tell you where the apartheid wall is. 
That's one thing. The second thing is there's no way for me to go from one city to the next. It only takes me outside of the city. And then I have to put in the address again. It takes me to the second city. So it takes me from Bethlehem to Ramallah. And then I put the address in again once I get within the Ramallah borders. And then it can take me to a location in Ramallah. So I have to do three times the work just to figure out what's going on, where I'm supposed to go. And that's part of the whole like lack of freedom of movement Mm -hmm. um, that Israelis impose. Yeah. So included in the West Bank is East Jerusalem. So like the neighborhood of Sheikh Jarrah, for example. And no matter where you are in the West Bank on any given day, you're liable to have your home or your property taken from you by settlers. And, you know, maybe maybe you're out getting groceries one day, you come back and Jacob from Brooklyn is, is in your living room and you'll, you will literally for the rest of your life, never have your house back. You'll find somewhere else to live. Too bad. So so that's West Bank Palestinians. And then you have Palestinians in Gaza. So Gaza is a very small, small area. Two million people live in it. One of the most densely populated places on earth. They have no control over their food supplies, their water supplies, their electricity supplies. Israel and Egypt controls everything coming in and going out of Gaza. It's an open-air prison, and people live and die in there, and they never leave. And you get an average of four hours a day of electricity, and your your dreams and your job prospects are probably being a cell phone repairman for a, for a stall down the street. And that's the extent of what you'll be able to do with your life. And then every four or five years, your neighborhood or even your house gets blown up by Israel when it's mowing the lawn. And if you ever protest, you'll be shot by Israeli snipers or you'll be drone striked. And then the fourth group of Palestinians is the diaspora slash Palestinian refugees in other countries. Who, who were either forced out in 1948 or 67 or even 73 or left voluntarily at some point. And you can effectively never go back right now. You know, maybe your, your grandparents or even your parents remember the town they grew up in, but you'll never see it. And those are, those are the four groups of Palestinians in the world today. Maybe one thing I want to talk about quickly is the the language around using the word Palestinian versus using the word Arab. Most Palestinians will tell you that they are Arabs. Israelis will always call Palestinians Arabs to kind of drive home the idea that Palestinians belong to this much wider group and they can go to any other Arab country if they want. They don't need to be here. They already have, you know, they have Syria, they have Jordan, they have Egypt. They can go wherever they want. Now, of course, the issue there is, would you, would you tell, I don't know, would you tell an Englishman that it's okay if you take over his country because he's European and he can go live in Romania or Russia or something? No. Yeah, more importantly, would you, would you say that the... English colonization of Asia 
was okay because Asia is so big and England is so small. Right. Yeah. Like where do you draw the line? Right. What, like, what, what does it mean to be a, a person of a certain ethnic group or, or race or nationality? It, it's very blurry and everyone has different ideas of, of what all these words mean. The second the, the second thing here is whether Palestinians consider themselves Arabs or not doesn't really matter. They are indigenous to that land. A lot of Israelis like to say oh, the Arabs came in the 7th century with the Islamic conquests. That's not true. Genetically and archaeologically, it's been proven across the board that Palestinians are descendants of Guess who? Ancient Jews. They're descendants of people who have lived there since time immemorial. And the the narrative that Jews were forced out at different points in ancient history and they're finally coming home does have some truth to it. They were deported under a few different empires, but never more than 20% of the Jewish population was deported. The majority of, of the ancient Jewish people stayed in Palestine, and they became today's Palestinians. So if anyone has a stronger claim to the land, by basically any argument you can make, it's the Palestinians, right? Even, even if you want to make the argument about who was there first, which I think is a dumb argument because it's impossible to win anywhere in the world. But yeah, even exactly. if you want to make that argument, they can win it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they say that Israel has a right to exist. They just state that as a fact. How How is Israel's right to exist from 1948? Because here's the thing. People say, like, Palestine never existed. Israelis say Palestine never existed, right? Or Zionists. Mm-hmm. But if you go back to, like, the British mandate and you say, like, okay, well, we know that it existed from the 20s at least, Right. And if you go before that, Palestine existed as a region within the Ottoman Empire. That's why like Mark right. Twain wrote about it in the 1800s and things like that. It wasn't just some random land. But my point is that even if you consider its like legitimacy or sovereignty starting from 1948, the same time as Israel, then Palestine has as much right of an exist, as much a right to exist as Israel does. And yeah. the bigger point is that neither really have a right to exist until the people have a right to exist. If you go take a step back and look at like Native Americans in Canada and the US, right? They have a right to exist. The Native Americans have a right to exist. They have a right to clean water, which they don't have. They have a right to own land. They have a right to work. They have a right to these opportunities. None of these are afforded to them, but that's what they have a right to. I don't think at any point are Native Americans going to just carve up a chunk of California and say, like, this is ours now? The land itself does not have rights. Palestinian, the people have rights. Palestinians have rights. Why would a country have a right to exist? Did the Confederacy have a right to exist? Did Nazi Germany have a right to exist? Did the three kingdoms in China have a right to exist? Like... No, like you said, people have a right to exist. Exactly. And when you go back to the idea of like an indigenous population, 
they definitely have the right to exist. And what's more is that it it's so much worse when you consider the fact that 90% of Israel isn't even indigenous. Even Benjamin Netanyahu is from Philadelphia. Yeah. Most, so many people in the IDF are Americans. They're not even native to the land. They're literally taking resources from America and Canada and South Africa and Europe to go and colonize. That's what, that's what people say when they call it colonizing. It's not Israel expanding. It's Europeans. It's Americans. It's Canadians. They're going in and taking land from an indigenous population. It is not even like the new definition of neo-colonialism. It is active old world colonialism. At some point, we touched about like the the language that we use is is kind of very catered or curated, mm-hmm. and that's kind of a very very critical part of the shift or the noticeable shift in recent and in, in the most recent, I guess, attacks on Palestine or Palestinians. Right. One thing that people have picked up on, and one people think one of the things that people have very like aggressively made fun of is the idea that any criticism of Israel is anti-Semitism. And I don't know about you, but I've seen a ton of protests and I honestly kind of feel bad for, right. I've seen a ton of protests where Jewish people are coming out and saying, we are Jewish people against Zionism or Jewish people against Israeli occupation or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I feel bad because I don't want them to feel the need to speak up the same way that, you know, Muslims are expected to speak up against ISIS. You know what I mean? Like, I I don't, I, obviously I don't identify with ISIS. I don't think that ISIS represents Islam. It's, ISIS thinks it represents Islam, but it's a terrorist organization. And to a lot of these Jewish people, Israel is just potentially could be, could be considered a terrorist organization. I definitely consider it a terrorist entity. Mm-hmm. And they feel the need to say, like, hey, we're not with them. The only thing we can objectively assess who to side with on is what's actually happening in reality, right? And Israel, it's the one that kills way more of the other side than the other, right? So who who is actively getting a lot closer to genocide and apartheid and ethnic cleansing than the other? Well, it's yeah. Israel. Right. Yeah. So why do we focus on this charter that is 40 years old, was changed and was by all accounts, never actually like looked at. It was never in danger of being implemented. Exactly. But like Israel's ideology of, you know, legitimately from the river to the sea is actively being implemented. And the only reason Ariel Sharon left Gaza was because he wanted to focus on getting Jerusalem. It's not because they were like, oh, we want Gaza to be its own state. Because if they did, they wouldn't have stipulated that they could still cover all of its borders in the Oslo Accords. Like part of the whole getting out of Gaza thing, people think that, oh, Israel just blockaded Gaza because Hamas took power. Part of the stipulations stipulations in the Oslo Accords was that they could continuously border it, monitor its borders and do all of that when they left it was just cheaper for them to go to fight jerusalem instead of gaza that was literally it there's mm-hmm. no peace process in any of israel's actions not once 
has Israel taken a definitive action towards peace, even postponing or supposedly canceling the 3,000 settlements after the UAE made that trade deal with them? They backed, they backed out on that. They reneged immediately. People say, oh, well, just because they kill more people doesn't mean that they're in the wrong. I am saying that they are in the wrong. But what's the more like universal message is that it's definitely their responsibility to stop killing people. Yeah, like, it's definitely their responsibility. Even if you don't want to say it's they're they're in the wrong. If you want to make that argument, go for it. I wouldn't be the one who's to say it's not wrong to kill seventy kids in the span of two weeks. I wouldn't do that. That's what happens when you are occupying a, a land. Thanks for listening, everyone. This is Connor and Salah. We hope we we're able to help you understand our point of view a little more. And we encourage you to read about this. There's a ton of great books on this topic and always free Palestine until it's backwards. Later guys. Okay. (laughs) Bye.